Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Back uh, from my trip to the Missouri State Fair in Sedalia yesterday, I had a great time there. Saw a lot of friends and always enjoy a visit to the Missouri State Fair. And thanks to Missouri Farm Bureau for all the great hospitality and uh, enjoyed spending time with a lot of uh, their folks there in the Missouri Farm Bureau building on the fairgrounds in Sedalia. Here's what we're going to talk about today. Weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Some much-needed rain uh, moved across uh, the Midwest yesterday and last night. We'll talk about who uh, got that rain and who didn't, and is there any more coming anytime soon. Lots of reaction to yesterday's USDA crop report. Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance will join us and uh, give us his thoughts on the numbers yesterday. And a lot of reaction still to EPA granting more RFS waivers. Bob Deneen, Senior Strategic Advisor for the Renewable Fuels Association, will join us later in the program. So lots to talk about. We'll kick it off now with Spencer Chase from AgriPulse Communications. Spencer, you could almost feel the anticipation building up going into that crop report yesterday. Yeah, there was a lot of folks kind of wondering what exactly the Department of Agriculture was going to say, and we had uh, my colleague Ben Nolley was actually in the in the USDA lockup yesterday, and uh, they had kind of mentioned that you know traders are probably going to be a little bit surprised uh, by what they see here, and uh, you know I, I'm not a market analyst and I don't pretend to be one, but my my goodness, they clearly were based on uh, what we saw happen to the markets yesterday. A lot of people not believing the numbers either. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of confusion there, and and we kind of you know we did a little bit of a back on the envelope cal- calculation, as did some others, and you know with uh, what with what USDA reported for uh, for corn acres as well as what they reported for prevented planting acres that were intended for corn, you know that that's over 100 million uh, acres that were intended for that commodity. You know that that represent a huge increase over what was planted last year. So a lot of folks scratching their heads because you know not only is are there huge increases like that, there's a little bit of you know, some disparity within uh, the Department of Agriculture itself on some of these numbers. And so, obviously, uh, it's, it's, no, it's no secret that a lot of farmers aren't huge fans of NAS reports and, uh, and USDA reports in general. I don't, think, uh, I don't think yesterday did anything to change that. No, and now the anticipation starts amping up for the September report. Right, because that'll, that'll be the one that gets, uh, gets the markets back on track. That'll, that'll be the one that does it. <laughs> <laughs> or hopefully give us a better, more accurate handle of what's out there, but uh, time will tell. We'll see. Uh, also, there's still a lot of uh, angst over the uh, granting of 31 more RFS waivers by EPA. The biofuels industry uh, really feels uh, stabbed in the back by this action. Right. You know, it's kind of interesting when this when this issue first came to be about a year, year, year and a half, maybe two years ago. You know, a lot of the the lobbyists and sources that I talked to, you know, they would express you know a sense of quiet frustration. You know, hoping that they could really get the EPA to uh, to turn this around. And really, any any sort of general politeness that, uh, that that existed beforehand is certainly gone now. Folks are folks are just downright furious. That this is still going on, and folks are uh, really <laughs> there. Some of the texts that I started getting Friday afternoon, when when these rumors were swirling, 
Um, we're we're very very frustrated. I, I won't tell you some of the language that was used because I know we're live on the air right now. But but goodness, people, we're we're very frustrated, and you know they're they're really trying to understand how the administration can look at some of the numbers that we're seeing in in an ethanol country, look at some of these margins, and still think that uh, that the oil refineries, these these small refineries receiving the exemptions, are the ones suffering economic hardship. You know, we, we saw RIN prices uh, go down from 20 cents to about 11 cents before closing on Friday, and I haven't had the chance to look and see where they're at right now, but I can't imagine that they've rallied by any sense. And so there's, there's a lot of confusion, a lot of consternation in, in the biofuel sector about just why these waivers, you know, continue to be allocated. Makes you think if you're in the biofuels industry, uh, I mean, the administration, the president claims his support for biofuels. If this is support... You'd hate to see what would happen if he wasn't a supporter. Right, and, you know, it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag, too, because, you know, we, if we think back to the years of the Obama administration, I mean, keep in mind, though, that administration had a hard time getting RFS volume levels out. There was a, one time they had to do a three-year announcement at once just because of all the issues that they had had getting those volume levels out. The Trump administration, to their credit, has gotten those requirements out on time, and every year they've allocated the, the conventional 15 billion gallons for, for that conventional biofuel. But then they turn right around and issue these waivers. And so the biofuel sector is saying that that 15 billion gallons is, is essentially just a number written on a piece of paper. It's not actually what's going to get blended because then years down the road, they're going to issue these waivers. We're talking with Spencer Chase with AgriPulse Communications. Is it kind of quiet around D.C. with Congress on recess? I tell you what, it's it's downright blissful in Washington right now because <laughs> it's just not a not a whole lot of uh, commotion, not a whole lot of traffic. God bless the American tourists, but they've decided to stay home for the month of August too. So it's a little, little easier to meander around town, but still, you know, still some things going on. We still ha- are waiting on some action on things like the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. Some of those behind-the-scenes negotiations are, are ongoing. Also tracking some developments on uh, on U.S.-China trade. We saw an announcement out of USTR this morning that they're going to delay some of those tariffs until December 15th. Uh, and <laughs> delaying, the, delaying the tariffs on things like laptops, video game consoles, uh, some, some clothing, some computer monitors. So I can only imagine what happens briefly after September, uh, December 15th that would, uh, that would motivate such a delay. But I'll leave that up to the imagination of the listener here. You know, we're hearing more and more. Uh, we heard about it out of Farm Fest in Minnesota. I talked with uh, Missouri Farm Bureau President Blake Hurst yesterday at the Missouri State Fair about farmers' patience running thin with what's going on right now. The RFS waivers, the China situation, uh, of course, on top of the, the weather challenges, which obviously the administration could not control that. But just all this at once, and it's leaving farmers many of them in some t- really tough situations, and patience, I think, is running thin. Well, yeah, and I think there's a bit of a continuum that we have to keep in mind here, too, because, you know, you, you hear some quotes every once in a while from farmers that would say, you know, I'd rather go broke than vote for a Democrat. There is still some of that out there. But at the same time, there's going to be a straw that breaks the camel's back for every single producer out there. And as you mentioned, you know, the, the weather challenges, the trade challenges, the biofuel waivers, all, you know, the, the continuing uh, downturn in the farm economy – you know, things like these USDA reports. I mean, there's a lot of things that are going on that are really kind of testing the mettle of farm country. I mean, President Trump is going to keep some support in rural America. There's just going to be some people that will never that will never abandon him because that's how they choose to vote. But there are some moderate votes in farm country, you know, as, as, as much as folks might not, like, might, might not like to admit. There are some folks that are going to be... Uh, 
potentially considering voting in a different direction. I don't know if we're there yet where we're going to see wholesale changes in how farm country heads to the voting booth, but I think there's a lot of folks that are a little bit more open to that possibility now than they were at this point before the 2016 election. It'll be an interesting year ahead, and certainly what we hear over and over, the MFP payments have helped, but they sure do not make up for all these other things that have been going on that really uh, hurt uh, the the ag economy. All right, Spencer, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you. Appreciate it, Mike. Thanks. T- take care. Spencer Chase with AgriPulse Communications. Well, some much-needed rain in some areas over yesterday and overnight. Uh, but others, uh, again, missed out. We'll talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson about any chances of more rain anytime soon. That's coming up next. Stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it, but only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids, parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors, waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. So we had some good news into last week with the signing of the uh, beef deal between the U.S. and the European Union. Joining us now to talk about it is Kent Backus, Senior Director of International Trade for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Kent, I remember talking with you several weeks ago when word of this uh, got out and you said, uh, don't pop the champagne corks just yet because it wasn't a signed deal. I guess now those corks can be popped, right? Well, I think we definitely put the bottles on ice. We are, uh, you know, we're pretty, pretty excited about this announcement, but there's still one step that's left, and that's for the EU Parliament to uh, to take this up, and we expect that sometime this fall. So, uh, with the Europeans, I always have a you know healthy dose of uh, of skepticism there, but I think that it's going to send a a very strong message to uh, to some of our producers. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, 
Give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, I know... uh, in Illinois and Missouri, uh, talking with folks yesterday, there were places that might have got three to four inches of rain in a relatively short period of time, and not too far away, people got little to nothing. Uh, how spotty was uh, uh, the rain yesterday, and uh, is there any more coming up? Yeah, Mike, that is a uh, characteristic of the uh, type of thunderstorm action uh, that we saw over the um the south central part of the midwest during the past uh, couple three days uh, we're we're getting the storms firing at the edge of uh, a real uh, hot and stressful uh, round of upper level high pressure in the southern plains and the delta and so these storms are not uh, part of a um, uh, of a long pattern or a long uh, conveyor belt uh, so to speak of thunderstorm action they're more convective uh, individual thunderstorm features and and when you do that when you have that uh, type of uh, development it is going to be a lot more patchy uh, in terms of the coverage and as we as uh, we saw uh, there will be some areas that get uh, the real heavy amounts and then uh, other locations are either going to get very light or will be missed entirely so uh, that is the nature of, uh, of what we saw. It does look like uh, we're going to uh, get a little bit more of a real uh, frontal boundary uh, setting up over the Beltline of the Midwest during the next week to uh, week or so. And uh, the rainfall chances over this uh, very dry area of the Corn Belt are actually looking uh, quite favorable right now, much more so than we saw at the end of last week. We're looking here now uh, between uh, now and a week from today, uh, getting into uh, the week of uh, August 19th. We're going to see rainfall likely uh, in the range of uh, one to two and a half inches, and um, that's going to be spread over a a wider area. We're getting some of that uh, happening today with storms in the Ohio Valley. Uh, so this is uh, a little bit more promising, and um, I know that I know that areas need it. Uh, there's been a real big moisture deficit. You had parts of central Illinois that had rainfall deficits during July of more than three inches, and to say that uh, this moisture is timely is probably an understatement uh, when you're looking at uh, the impact that we're going to have. Yeah, much needed in some places, while other places are still dealing uh, with too much water. Yeah, they are. Uh, there, there's, uh, you know, just an ongoing frustration in uh, parts of the Central Plains because of uh, the the uh, penchant of uh, rainfall to be too heavy. Uh, we've seen uh, rainfall amounts of anywhere from uh, three to four inches in Central Nebraska. Uh, last week, there are parts of Central and Eastern, or I should say, Northeastern Kansas that had. Uh, over uh, five to uh, seven inches of rain. I believe there was even an unofficial um, 
uh, totaling of rainfall of around 10 inches in uh, in uh, an area of uh, east central Kansas. Uh, so this is uh, the other side of it, and uh, then to our south, uh, you know, it really is impressive how the dry conditions have developed in Texas, and we could see that in the Delta because of this uh, heat that they're going to have. Uh, we've got a lot of heat advisories pretty much running from Texas all the way to Alabama today, and we could be seeing 100-degree temperatures in central Alabama for the daytime highs. So there really is a big uh, contrast uh, from north to south on the temperature side. I was going to ask you about the Midwest. Do you think the, the hottest weather is behind us, or do we have some really hot weather still ahead, you think? I think the... Uh, I think the hottest conditions are pretty much over with, to be honest with you, Mike. Um, we get into the latter half of August. Um, the charts are showing more of an influence of, you know, a west to northwest airflow, uh, nothing really out of the southwest. And even this uh, big, uh, fat upper uh, atmosphere ridge that's uh, creating such a heat wave today, uh, from Texas east into the southeastern part of the country, uh, that's uh, showing more of a migration to the west during the next uh, seven to ten days, you know, to where it's going to center itself, you know, somewhere around Nogales, Arizona. And uh, the edge of that hot uh, high is going to be over uh, central and eastern Texas instead of the center of it being uh, just... Uh, you know, not that far away from the Midwest. So, again, that uh, opens the way for more of a northwesterly airflow, a uh, little bit of a chance for some, uh, for some uh, difluent uh, airflow, uh, you know, kind of a split in the, uh, in the wind pattern to allow for thunderstorm buildup and uh, increase the moisture chances in the Midwest. And so I think that's all uh, looking quite promising now as we go into uh, the second half of the month here. So can you see, I mean, based on what you just described, are you seeing something of a, a system, a pattern setting up as we had late summer and into fall? Well, I don't think that we're, uh, you know, getting things uh, set up to bring in uh, real cold air or anything like that. If that, if uh, if that's what you're implying, I think that the the uh, big feature for us uh, over the central United States during the next uh, couple weeks is going to be more of a westerly airflow, kind of a zonal type pattern, uh, zonal type uh, direction, and uh, occasionally. You know, a little bit of a uh, a split in the in the uh, major uh, wind direction uh, to to where we get some thunderstorm chances firing here and there, and I I have to think that that this is not a real stressful pattern. Again, uh, we're just kind of keeping on, keeping on, so to speak. The uh, biggest concern right now is that over the northern. Uh, part of the Midwest, that they're still going to be kind of, uh, you know, very close to the end of the season, uh, happening too early for the delayed crops uh, because of how uh, late planting was. Uh, we're going to uh, be uh, kind of uh, shy of even 80 degrees over quite a bit of Minnesota over the next uh, several days. North Dakota the same way. Conditions are going to get a little bit warmer, but still not looking well above normal or anything like that. It, it's remarkable how this uh, how this uh, scenario that we've got 
is pretty well staying in place for as long as it is. We're just going to kind of be just walking the line all the way to the end on this crop season, aren't we? Yes, we are. And, and you know, I, I think that that uh, the, the um, benefit that we're going to be seeing is a uh, continuation of, of uh, crops getting a chance to uh, go through a fill stage that's, that's fairly benign. Uh, one feature that uh, hasn't gotten a whole lot of uh, play is that the overnight low temperatures are uh, pretty much on the warm side, so that does uh, add to the growing degree day totals that we see for the 24-hour period. The fact that the daytime highs are not real hot I think is uh, helping the cause because uh, we don't have uh, a whole lot of uh, stress put on uh, crops during the daytime because of heat in the Midwest, while the overnight low temperatures kind of add to the uh, growing degree day totals and maybe in, in a way help to uh, move the, the, uh, the uh, fill of uh, both corn and soybeans to a little bit more of a, um, you know, a close to normal or closer to normal bracket uh, on the scale at the end of the season. I'm not going to say that we're going to catch up, but uh, the fact that we have the warm nights and the mild days maybe allow things to get uh, done a little bit before uh, we truly start getting into the categories to where uh, the first freeze is a real imminent factor. So more favorable, just will it last long enough uh, to get us there, right? Yeah, that's, that's the way things are, are looking at this point. Um, I'll be honest, uh, today I'm uh, more optimistic about the southern half of uh, the Corn Belt. I'll just uh, split it at Interstate 80. I'm more optimistic about uh, crops being able to get enough uh, growing condition favors um, lined up uh, to where there's a better chance for the you know for crops to finish out um, ahead of just having a real widespread calamity uh, caused by cold weather. Nobody wants that, no matter what the price is. All right, Bryce, uh, does sound more optimistic this week. Well, hopefully we'll continue to get to those favorable conditions. Thank you very much. Good to talk with you. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Take care. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Well, a lot of reaction to yesterday's USDA crop report. Uh, a lot of uh, head shaking and uh, maybe some words being tossed around that we can't use here. But we'll get some analysis, uh, some reaction from Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst with Robo AgriFinance. His thoughts on the report coming up next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. 
The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. A mixed start to the grain and oil seed sector on this Tuesday session. Another defensive start for cattle futures. In the outside markets, U.S. stocks and bond yields rallying today after the U.S. said it would delay some tariffs against China until December. Analysts said they're expecting more short-term volatility in the markets until investors get more clarity on U.S. and Chinese trade. Archer Daniels Midland and Bungie each rising over 2% in early trade today, outpacing gains in the U.S. stocks. Live cattle futures at the Merck. Lower once again, traders still watching for updates from Tyson Foods about that fire at its Kansas beef plant. That plant on its own responsible for roughly 5% of beef production in the U.S. Cattle futures have lost about 6% since that fire happened. An hour into the trading day on Tuesday, August live cattle down $4.50 at $100.55 per hundredweight. Feeder cattle August down $1.57 at 132.82. Lean hog futures, October, $1.05 higher at 68.12. For the grains, soybean futures trying to stabilize after Monday's losses. November up 13 and a quarter, 8.92 and a half. December corn down 8 cents at 3.85 an hour into the session. Chicago wheat, September contract, nickel higher, 4.76 and three quarters. Kansas City September up a penny and a quarter at 393 and a half. Minneapolis spring wheat though has been a bit defensive early on this Tuesday. September down a nickel at 504 and a quarter. The Dow up 486 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Sometimes life is wonderful and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, the reaction continues and will continue for some time to yesterday's USDA crop report. Let's get some uh, analysis of the numbers from... 
grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo AgriFinance, Steve Nicholson. Steve, uh, where are you? Are you in Nebraska today? I am in Nebraska today. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. Uh, what'd you think of the report yesterday? Well, I think the first thing is, you know, my first thing is wow, and my second reaction is, boy, this is a real head scratcher. So I think that's from the first place I started. Um, you know, and, so, and I spent quite a bit of time last night because I was traveling quite a, most of the day yesterday, so I didn't get a chance to, you know, see it as it came out. You know, I looked through it last night, and, and the bottom line is, and, I, and this sounds really, I don't mean to be trite, or, but when you look at ending stocks on corn and soybeans and look at what USDA did to prices, there was hardly any change. From all that stuff that came out yesterday and all the numbers and all the reaction and all the head-scratching, and all the reaction, you know, the bottom line was you looked at ending stocks for 1920 and prices for 1920, and they hardly changed. And so I think we have to kind of keep that in mind a little bit and put this in first, you know, kind of, you know, let's step back just, a, you know, a couple steps. And I'm not, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, talk about, you know, trying to de, um, you know, not be conscious of what happened yesterday and what they did, but you know, I think there's also a couple things we need to think about with all these numbers. First of all, this is the first take on the August numbers, and on, the, on this year's on this year's crop. So I think keep that in mind. But also, we have to remind ourselves that this is the trade thinks about this. This is the foundation for all comparisons and all you know trading from here on out, whether we agree or disagree. So let's keep that in mind. I think. The other thing, too, is, you know, this August number, and there's been some people talking about this, and, and there's two things about this August number we have to remember. First of all, this is the first year, this is a different methodology in the way they looked at the crop itself. There was no objective yield taken here in this August, and that's different than what they've done in the past, where they'll actually go out and pull ears, for example, and count pods on, on soybeans and make decisions about yield. So this is the first year they didn't do that. So there, I, I would say, you know, there's not a lot of history of doing this, and so we could see some changes going down the road. I think there's potential for changes down the road because then we'll start to get objective yield data as we get into September. So that's the first thing to think about. The other thing is that, you know, everything's still pretty fluid. I mean, this crop is very delayed, and you know this very well in Illinois. You've not only been delayed and you've been dry, everything, you know, there. You've had almost the whole gambit of, of crisis this year there. And so, you know, we've got a lot, of, there's a lot of water to go underneath the bridge yet. Um, or over the dam, however you want to look at it, um, before we see where this number, where this crop settles out. And so I think there's still a lot of movement in this crop as far as what it's going to be and what it's going to do. Now, I'm not discounting uh, the market reaction to this because, and I think that's something to think about is, you know, this was, you know, to look at this number and go, wow, 169 crop on corn uh, versus 176 last year, boy, this is really bearish. Well, you know, it, it, it's not in that sense that when we look at it from, that way, but it's about expectations. The market was expecting a lot worse, and it didn't get that, and so it's reacting accordingly. To that. So you always have to think about that too, where the trade's head is going into this report, and you know their expectation was this is going to be bad, and that's not what happened, and so that's they're reacting to that. So I think we have to we're talking know, with, keep all yeah the, you know, keep, keep that all in perspective. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah. We're talking with Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance. All right, Steve, we came into this uh, saying yeah. this was really more about acres than yield as far as giving us a, a good uh, picture. Uh, so yep. there was a lot of focus with, about the yep. prevent plant acres. 
What did you think with the number they came up with there? Yeah, I will. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I was surprised at both corn and soybeans. You know, the ninety million on corn probably wasn't as surprising to me as maybe the seventy-six on on beans. You know, it. And, I, and I've said this. I think we've said this on the show. Is that this is a year where two plus two is going to equal five, and in some ways, two plus two this year equals seven. And and I and I'm going to say this, and a crop insurance guy can correct me. And I, but you know, there was even corn and even soybeans planted after those prevent plant dates, and they could still claim prevent plant on those acres. They just wouldn't get the full recovery. So you're going to have some acres overlap in the sense that they'd be counted as prevent plant acres, but they're also going to be planted counted as planted acres as well because they got planted. So. I think that's one thing we have to kind of remember. And, and if a crop insurance guy was correct me, I, but uh, go ahead and do that. But um, but I think we have to think about there's going to be some overlap here that maybe isn't, again, 2 plus 2 is not going to equal 4, it's going to equal 5. Um, you know, the 90 million on corn, yeah, there's a lot of corn acres out there that I've seen this, this summer, and I certainly have encountered all of them. You know, if that's where we end up, okay, the bean number just seems really low to me. But I will say, when you look at the and you look at the crop production, there the whole front page of the crop production report was sort of a, a discussion, USDA discussion of what's going on and how they did this, a methodology and stuff. And they left the door open that they could come back and revise planted acres come, you know, September, October. So keep that in mind that those acres may change yet again. Again, there's a lot of water to go over the bridge, over the over the dam, or under the bridge yet. So yeah, and. The September report should give us a really more accurate uh, picture of things. Right. But as you said, yep. these numbers are now out there, so the market will yep. trade off of these, right? That's right. I mean, these are the numbers the market's going to trade. And, and, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, this is the gold standard that the market has to, you know, is going to use and trade accordingly. So, you know, and keep that in mind as we go into September and October. As we get better numbers, the market's going to look at this and go, Wow, they they took it one from 169.5. They took it down to 160 or 165. Wow, I didn't expect that, and and so the market will react to that as well. And so I think you know, keep in mind that markets go both ways, um, and we have to remember that. And both in when markets go down and when markets go up, they can go both ways. And I, I think as we've said all along, you know, this is a margin game, and 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 we have to think about what the market can do. And, you know, I'm surprised at the limit down yesterday. I'll be honest with that. Um, but, yeah, so, and September, October should give us a better feel of what this crop is or a better indication what this crop really is because we don't know because, as we well know, in many parts of the, particularly the eastern Corn Belt, crop was planted very late, and it's just, you know, we're just getting through pollination in most of the Corn Belt. So we just talked with the. We just talked with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson, who gave yep. us a, a better uh, forecast pattern coming up for the next uh, couple of weeks, especially, mm-hmm. yep. and more favorable, less stressful. Um, so if you have that, if, if we don't get any better trade news than we've had lately, uh, what, what, what do we look to? Where do we hang our hat on for any kind of a rally in the next month or so? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's it's. I mean, it's a good question, but I, I I hate to say I think it's a difficult it's a difficult to see where the rally would be, you know, until we get the next crop report. Um, you know, could it be an early frost? Maybe, but like you just said, you know, the weather going forward looks pretty decent for developing crops, and you know, we'd rather have a crop than not have a crop. Um, so I think you have to look at early frost is the next play, is kind of the next milestone, and then of course the September and October. 
uh, crop reports. It, and, I, and just not that this is 93, but, you know, re, for those of us who remember 93, you know, we got through the August, September, October crop reports and the market was like, you know, the crops look good and, and we we're all scratching our heads go, well, that's not what's out there. And then we got the November report and boom, the, the, the crop wasn't there. And I think this is a year where the combines roll will really tell us a lot more when they roll will tell us a lot more what this crop looks like so there's several well, milestones we, yet to come well we know though is they're going to roll later than usual and that's going to be stretched yep. out <laughs> over yep. a longer period of time right that's right and and that's going to make these crop reports you know even this i would even argue me the september may not be a very accurate merit a very accurate picture of what we really have mm-hmm. out there uh, because we do have a lot of you know we just have a crops are late um, and they're just not be ready to be ready to be harvested yet. I mean, that's just the reality of where we are this year. And I, I think we've had some catch up with this warmer weather, but it's certainly not. It's not. Uh, it's not a done deal yet. So the frustration is, we all yep. kind of sit around and say, we know these numbers aren't that accurate. I mean, that's yep. we'll get better numbers as we go along. But in the meantime, the the market acts like those are accurate numbers. That's the frustration. Right, that's the frustration. And if you're, you know, if you're a seller and, and or a buyer, in some ways, you've been hit both ways this year. Um, you know, I think it's it's difficult now if you if you have crop yet to market, and we'll just we'll say it that way. You know, this is a difficult situation. So what do you do? Um, and I, I I don't know that there's any good answers here. Um, you know, waiting may not be the right answer, and and you know, and doing something right now may not be the right answer. But I I think that. You know, I'm 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 still friendly to the corn market long term. Um, you know, knowing what is you know being seen in the eastern corn belt, uh, boy, I just it's hard to believe it's out there. And people still talk about the holes in the field. Um, and I think the other thing we have to think about is not focus just on the board. Let's not remember those basis numbers because there are people out there, in particularly parts of the eastern corn belt, where basis is going to have to work very hard to get corn bought. Um, and at the same time, as the, as the market has, has dwindled off here, and I'll just, we'll, we'll try to be kind to it, um, base is going to have to work a lot harder now to get corn out of the country. And a lot of the discussion earlier this summer was the ethanol people in particular talked about we want to get coverage into September, and once we get that coverage done, then we're done buying corn. Well, you know, we're, we're a half a month away from the 1st of September, and there's not going to be any new crop corn coming and so you can see, I mean, I suspect you're going to see some folks, you know, come, you know, what would be considered new crop corn not available, basis level going up. All right, Steve. Thanks a lot. Safe travels to you, and we'll no, talk again soon. Thank you much. We'll talk to you soon. Uh-huh. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Steve Nicholson, Robbo Agrifinance Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst. So frustration after the USDA crop report yesterday. Frustration with EPA's uh, granting more RFS waivers. We'll talk about that next with Bob Deneen with the Renewable Fuels Association on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 
Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, well, the Animal Rights National Conference was held last month in Alexandria, Virginia. Some of the things said there kind of gives us a look at the, what is the agenda, what's the playbook for these animal activist groups moving forward. Here to tell us about it is Hannah Thompson-Weeman, Vice President of Communications for the Animal Ag Alliance. This event really does kind of tip their hand, doesn't it? it? gives us a look into their playbook, what their agenda is for the future. Well, a big part of what the Animal Ag Alliance does is monitoring animal rights activism because it is essential for all of us in animal agriculture to understand what these groups are doing, what strategies and tactics they're going to use against us now and into the future. And that's why we released a report from a couple different national animal rights conferences throughout the year, one of the major ones being the National Animal Rights Conference that was just held here in the D.C. area a few weeks ago. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after Dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. 
I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me. Your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, joining us now is the Senior Strategic Advisor for the Renewable Fuels Association, Bob Deneen. Bob, I mentioned earlier, if this is the administration's idea of supporting the biofuels industry by granting more RFS waivers, I'd hate to see uh, what they would do if they weren't supporting the industry. Well, you're absolutely right about that, Mike. It is uh, baffling to me when you see how rural America is really struggling these days. Uh, because of uh, Mother Nature and trade policies and uh, other policies from this administration, for them to uh, reward the most profitable industry on the face of the planet right now, oil, uh, and uh, you know essentially have uh, U.S. farmers uh, subsidizing the oil industry. Uh, it, it makes no sense. It makes no economic sense. It makes no policy sense, and I don't believe it makes any political sense for the president. Well, when we look at another round of, you know, what, 31 more uh, waivers, this uh, this more than wipes out the gains of the E15 announcement, doesn't it? Oh, by a, by a long shot. Our estimate was that this year we would uh, potentially see an additional 50 million gallons of ethanol demand as a consequence of uh, the E15 rule. Now, that would grow over time, but, uh, you know, that's what it means for this year. Uh, but you have to contrast that with, uh, while we don't know exactly, because there's no real transparency here, uh, but it could be more than a billion gallons of demand lost uh, to small refinery waivers. Uh, it, it, you put those on the scale, and it's it's not even close. There, and you just touched on it. There's still this lack of transparency on uh, what is their rationale, what is their criteria for granting these waivers. We've been asking the Environmental Protection Agency for years, tell us what your criteria is. Uh, tell us who these companies are that are getting these waivers. In the past, the small refiners that have received waivers from EPA uh, from this program include Exxon and Chevron. Uh, I'm sorry, by my definition, those aren't small refiners. They're, they're among the most profitable companies on the face of the planet. And, and frankly, that even masks the, the real uh, 
frustration with all of this, and that is companies presumably have to show a disproportionate economic harm. Well, if you're giving them to 31 of 38 that have applied, I'm, where is the disproportionate? It seems to me they're all getting the, you know, the, uh, the relief here. But more importantly, how can they show harm at all? Ethanol is less expensive than gasoline today. So blending more of a less expensive, higher-octane product would seem to be a benefit to refiners, certainly a benefit to consumers. And so the logic of all of this is, quite frankly, uh, befuddling to me. And no indication it's going to change. I mean, we could see more coming, right? Well, we could see more coming, but look, the the issue really is uh, now that they've identified uh, 31 refineries that uh, you know should be exempted from this program, are they going to reallocate those gallons? They could still do that in a final rule. They could say, okay, we now know how many gallons we've waived from the program, so in the final RVO for uh, 2020, we're going to increase it to account for those waivers that we just granted. They could do that. I don't really expect them to do that because the administration has not indicated at all that that is its intention. But that's how they could, as yet, make this right. Yeah, and there's, do we have any sign that that could happen? Well, like I said, there's been no sign of it as yet. Uh, the proposed uh, RVO for 2020 essentially uh, said in the formula to uh, determine how much the obligated parties would have to burn, uh, they plugged in zero for waived gallons under the small refinery exemptions. Well, we all, we all know right now that that is uh, not a, an accurate reflection of what the agency is going to do. So in the final rule, do they replace that zero with, you know, however many hundreds of millions of gallons or billions of gallons they have waived uh, as a consequence of these 31 exemptions? They should. The law requires them, but the EPA over the last several years has frankly uh, not shown a great deal of fidelity to the statute and and not seemed to care about the impact of its RFS implementation on consumers or rural America. And that's what I find just to be uh, politically insensitive. Seems like they're kicking an industry while it's down. Well, yeah, and you referred to it earlier, right? You know, farmers are hurting right now. Oil companies aren't hurting. Uh, And uh, for the president uh, to have allowed uh, these exemptions uh, to move forward, uh, one has to wonder, uh, you know, how is it that the oil refiners uh, get uh, this incredible subsidy and, and, uh, you know, farmers kicked in the teeth? And the lack of exports because of the trade war with China – uh, just adds to the uh, the misery on this. It sure does. I mean, China had been our fastest growing market. We uh, exported uh, more than 300 million gallons to uh, to China uh, several years ago, and today it's nothing. And it's more than ethanol. It's also uh, our distillers' feed product. So, yeah, we're we're getting hit by all sides right now. Yeah, it's a double whammy for sure. Bob, as always, we appreciate your time. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for uh, letting your audience know uh, what's going on out there.
All right, take care. Bob Deneen, he's the Renewable Fuels Association's Senior Strategic Advisor. Uh, We're going to get more reaction to EPA granting more RFS waivers. We'll hear from the biodiesel industry tomorrow. And uh, we're also going to talk about uh, what's being done, the efforts underway to try to develop new markets for soybeans. Uh, China on hold for the time being anyway. So where else do we turn? We'll talk about that as well. All coming up tomorrow. I hope you'll join us right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, It could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556.